Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. This is William Zelmer, a contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, speaking with two of the co-authors of a paper entitled Quality Improvement Analytics for Intravenous Infusion Pumps. With me is Susan Skladar, who at the time the paper was written was Director, Pharmacy Drug Use and Disease State Management Program, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and Associate Professor, School of Pharmacy, University of Pittsburgh. Also speaking with me is Dr. Cynthia Nikolai, who at the time the paper was written was clinical pharmacist in the Pharmacy Drug Use and Disease State Management Program, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Sue, I'd like to begin with you. The University of Pittsburgh Medical Center is a very large and multifaceted health system. Short of discussing the full dimensions of the system, could you please describe specific patient care settings that are covered by your paper? Sure. At our facility, as you noted, it is the large academic medical center, but we're spanning upwards of 12 different inpatient facilities. So we are a health system. And with our project, it also even outreached to outpatient oncology centers, so hospital-based outpatient oncology centers. So our span of practice ends up being adult inpatients, pediatrics, oncology with with the specialties ranging from um, intensive care units, traumas, burns, uh, women's health, oncology, cardiology, surgery, etc. So quite a varied healthcare system. Part of the challenge for us in uh, design of and implementation of our smart pumps across all these facilities, there was an overarching objective to have a single drug library, meaning a single set of parameters for IV medications to be given across all these different practice sites. So that really enabled us to have a lot of consensus building sessions and streamline practice and standardization across all these different sites. So we didn't have multiple choices of medications for the end user nurses because that's how error can happen. So it afforded us really a big opportunity to try to, where it was clinically appropriate, standardize some practices. Sure. I'm thinking of the complexity of your system and what a challenge it must have been to implement intelligent infusion pumps across the board. Uh, Could you briefly describe your implementation process? Sure. It was very much an interdisciplinary effort for sites taking on this type of an implementation, whether it's at one hospital or across a lot of hospitals like we had, you really need to make sure that the right folks are at the table. So the initial effort came from our quality department. We had quality leaders there, pharmacy there, nursing there, physicians there, biomedical, central supply there. I think that is one of the critical pieces because especially if your facility is switching from one pump to another, there's a a big, big issue in practice with types of tubing and, and pump changes that really need your central supply folks there. So it's everything from the technical end of it, servers and wireless 
delivery system to clinical decision makers who can help decide what the dosing parameters are going to be for a particular medication. So a large group was assembled, and then at each one of our campuses, there was a point person identified within nursing and within pharmacy, either the pharmacy director or their clinical lead. We had a system group together to do the first draft of the system-wide drug library settings, which is the dosing settings for the medication. So there was a small group of us that did that for the system, and then all the different hospitals got to look at it and comment on it, and we pulled in experts from across the system hospitals in areas, for example, like in anesthesiology. We had a group of nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists help from across all the hospitals to design those settings. And some of our specialty hospitals, like oncology, got to design that section of the drug library. And then we had system point persons in biomedical as well. When we started the project, we had site-specific champions for nursing and site-specific champions also for pharmacy. I was in a health system role. Cindy was not on board yet in her health system pharmacy role for the smart pump that came about six months into the project. It was a phase, and and about probably about three or four months later, there was a system-wide advanced practice nurse for infusion safety identified also. So currently, for the health system, we still have today, and this is almost five years later, system-level point person for biomedical, for pharmacy, and for nursing. And I think that really has made the difference for us to be able to continue to improve what the pump's able to do for safety you know, that's a lot of Cindy's work today, is running the reports of what the pump is doing and what events it's catching and what alerts are firing and then working with each individual campus for what's going on at their facility. Big learning lesson for us is, you know, we have more than half a million infusion starts a month. And Cindy, correct me if I'm wrong there. It's over 6,000 pumps now and Mm -hmm. half a million infusions a month. When you run the reports, you can run them aggregate or you can run them per facility. And we've learned that you have, for us, we have to run both because like our smaller hospitals, the infusion traffic is just less than our hospitals with five or 600 beds. So we run a big picture and then we run an individual campus picture that allows us to see events both ways. Otherwise, we might miss out on something significant at one of the smaller campuses. Well, Cindy, as a clinical practitioner in this system, is there something you would like to add from your perspective about both the implementation process and sort of this continuous process that you're in, in terms of monitoring the quality of the system? Sure. I came into the process about six months later, and some hospitals obviously were already active and had their go live. I came in on the start with some of the, our smaller hospitals. And from my perspective, to emphasize what Sue had said, I think it's really, really important to not let necessarily practices at the larger hospitals negate some of the practices at the smaller hospitals. It's very, very important to get input from each and then what we do is we develop recommendations and then have consensus as to whether we'll revise the library or not. But we have actually learned quite a lot from our smaller hospitals and have incorporated that into the library. And the practices that they have in many times 
enhanced our practices at the larger facilities. Mm-hmm. Well, it's obviously a very complex process, mm-hmm. implementation, and, and to keep it running smoothly. You both have mentioned the drug library a number of times. Could you just elaborate on some of the key safety precautions that you've built into your system? And I guess I'm also interested in the extent to which uh, frontline practitioners can override various safety features or an alert. Just comment on that for us, please. We very much want to use the benefits that the pump is noted to have. So, for example, inside the library, we can build in medications as continuous infusions, meaning they run, you know, over a 24-hour period, or we can build them in as intermittent infusions, which means maybe it's a smaller volume over six hours, that kind of an infusion. So what we've opted to do is put the medications into the library with their standard dosing as much as possible. And then we also put on the limits that the pump allows you to do, which is some soft limits, which means a nurse will get an alert, but we're clinically valid, they can override it. Those soft alerts, whether it be a minimum dosing or a maximum dosing range, those are set off of information in the literature or the the drugs prescribing information combined with some lessons learned we've had about common practices running medications too quickly or too slowly that the pump data has enabled us to see. We also fairly judiciously use a function in there called a hard stop. I always draw an analogy to the smart pumps technology, kind of like to a computerized physician order entry system in that you can set up too many alerts and have alert fatigue happen pretty quickly. In a CPOE system, you can have the same thing happen in a smart pump. So, you know, the end user, which in this case is the nurse, can, you know, there can be so many alerts go off that they ignore them and override them. So the hard stops do not allow the nurse to override. They Mm -hmm. have to do something. So we've chosen to use those fairly strategically versus have hard stops on everything because, you know, the nurse hits one of these soft stops and they, they get a question. The pump says to them, the settings in the pump are this, are you sure you want to keep going? They say it fancier than that. That's sort of my paraphrase of what the screen right, says. Right, I understand. And the nurse says, yes, I want to go, or no, I'm going to reprogram. With the hard stop, they don't get that. They have to either cancel out and reprogram, or there's a function in the pump that they can just run an IV medication, basic, regular infusion with no safety settings at all. So we didn't want to use the hard stop too, too much, or that would force the nurse to go into basic. And when they do that, all safety protection is gone. So we've put hard stops, for example, on opioid analgesics, on anticoagulants, and insulin, which are three very well-known medications that can have disastrous consequences if an adverse event would happen. We don't have hard stops on everything, but that's purposeful because we want the alerts to be meaningful to the nurse. And and if you think ahead to, you know, going into this, how are we going to know that the pump made a difference? We track things like, you know, what percent are we in the safety dosing parameters of the pump? And then what drugs are causing alerts all the time? And what kinds of alerts are happening all the time? A couple different metrics that we chose to track were what medication alerts are being overridden over 90% of the time. 
mm-hmm. because the alert might not go off that much, so it might not pop out on the report that tells you drugs causing alerts. But if you have an alert that goes off 10 times a month and 10 out of 10 times it's overridden, that tells us the alert is too conservative or maybe the practice has to change. That's a metric that we added on about a year and a half into it because we had alerts that totally got bypassed often, and that was concerning. We don't want them in there if they're not meaning anything. So on the heels of, you know, what alerts are overridden all the time came a metric for us that was, we call it sort of our alert fatigue metric. We look at how, with a goal of every time we do a library update, which again goes across you know, all 12, 15 sites and all the outpatient ambulatory centers, our goal is try to get about a 20% alert reduction every time we do a library update, which is about every six months now. At the beginning of implementation, we were updating about every six weeks, but now we're out to about twice a year. And we always have the goal of a net decrease in alerts, trying to get them to be more meaningful. Like we've put in some stops where we've increased alerts and that was on purpose. Right. with an education piece, but we specifically are in this now looking at kind of nuisance alerts because Cindy's able to do some magical configuration to tweak a setting by one-tenth of a decimal point that's not clinically significant, and an alert can completely go away. Cindy, I wonder if you could give us one or two examples of how the data you collect and analyze uh, have been translated into improved patient care practices. I can give you the general framework of how we do that, and then I I can give you an example. Uh, We'll start with the the beginning of the cycle, for example, the publishing of a new library. Once all the pumps throughout the system are updated wirelessly with the new library, I take about, because we have 6,000 pumps and the time it takes for that library to download, it's almost about five to six weeks before all the pumps are uploaded because some are in storage, not in use. After that point in time, I will start pulling data to see how our changes that we had in that library are are being accepted, used, not used. Then from there, I'll go on and do the next quarterly report. And I do one of these for each facility. And I send that data to our smart pump champions in nursing and pharmacy to each of those facilities, also including some recommendations for issues that I did find. When we get all the information together, I will then have a major document that has all the items that I've found across the system, what some of the potential recommendations for changes could be, and then we post this to a Smart Pump SharePoint site. And each site then the nurse and the pharmacist have a voting opportunity. But what they are to do is to take that recommendation, take it within their site, see if this will work with their different physician groups, different practices, and then they are actually voting. The nurse is voting for all the nurses at their site. The pharmacist is voting for the pharmacist at their site, and they will engage the physician when needed. So for each change that we make to the library that we have found either through our CQI data error reporting, or the literature does not become part of the library until we have consensus from across the system. Okay. Then obviously make those changes and release the next library. One of the issues that required a significant change to the library was our dosing limits on fentanyl. 
through reviewing error reports and also being notified directly, we had a sequence of fentanyl errors within the system in which there was an over-infusion or too rapid of infusion. When an end user is programming the pump, on the actual screen where you're programming the infusion parameters, the first value or field that the nurse encounters is the mLs per hour in which the infusion will run. Further on down that screen, that is where the actual dose or for fentanyl micrograms per hour that the nurse then can enter. However, because the ml per hour field is first, it does happen where the end user will place the actual dose per hour in the ml per hour field. And that is what had occurred with select fentanyl infusion in which the nurse programmed 100 ml per hour instead of 100 microgram per hour. Mm-hmm. At that time, we did not have a hard limit on our fentanyl and the over-infusion overdose then occurred and were not recognized until the pump beep that the infusion was ended. I see. So what we did then was place a hard limit, which Sue described is one that the nurse cannot override. She actually has to, or he has to stop and reprogram the pump to proceed. And we have done others very similar to that, where we have placed hard limits, for example, on our anticoagulants and insulin, not to be completely restrictive, but yet to prevent the major infusion error. Very important example. Well, let's conclude this by having each of you comment just briefly on any advice you have for others who are assessing the type of quality monitoring they should institute as they implement intelligent infusion pumps. Cindy, would you start, please? From my experience, and this is the experience based on a hospital system, I think if you're in one particular facility and you have easy contact with all the key people in your project, the chance for success is obviously greater. However, from a system perspective, it is so important to make sure that you have key people in buy-in from each facility because you can't be this unseen, invisible person that's miles and miles away trying to increase compliance at a particular facility. You have to become involved with that facility in order to reach your goals. So my new initiative for this year is to do site visits and actually present the quarterly report to the chief nursing officers, their CQI, key nurse educators, and pharmacists, and talk about the different particular things for their site, but also, too, to commend them for the great catches and how their nurses are preventing errors at the bedside. I'm looking to even approve further what we've done by actually becoming more engaged at each site. And, and for anyone who is initiating this within a health system, it's very, very important that the key people at each site know you and have a good relationship with you so that you can provide the greatest and help them achieve the greatest safety benefits from the pump at their site. Right. Sounds like very sound advice. Sue, uh, any advice from your perspective to others who might be contemplating the type of monitoring they need to implement with uh, intelligent infusion pumps? I would just echo what Cindy just said, and again, iterate that the first step is, you know, smart deciding 
of what things you're going to track, have regular reporting, and then ongoing, really ongoing dedication to understanding the data and making change from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really easy with information systems to do initial building and then not check in and do improvements. But the software inside of the pump and the ability to get the data on on a global level and then being able to dive into it deeply enables you really to make good practice change from what the pump is telling you is happening at the bedside because you can see the steps that the bedside nurse goes through to infuse an IV medication and the pump needs to help that be more safe and more efficient and not be technology that's disruptive. So, you know, setting up that quality monitoring plan and doing that in an interdisciplinary way is critical. Mm -hmm. Well, Sue and Cindy, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to discuss your AJHP paper, a paper entitled Quality Improvement Analytics for Intravenous Infusion Pumps. Thanks very much. That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.